Have you ever imagined fashion being as diverse as human culture? Have you ever dreamed of a respectful, ethical, and socially just fashion industry? Have you ever envisioned sustainability being at the core of the entire fashion system? This is your host, Laura Beltran-Rubio. I'm a fashion curator, researcher, and educator. My mission is to translate scholarly insights into actionable strategies that we can all take to reshape how we create, wear, and think about fashion. So find a comfortable seat, brew some tea, and open your notebook as you join me in the quest for redressing fashion. Welcome back to Redressing Fashion. Before I start publishing new episodes, I've created a collection of what I call loose thoughts that I've been writing and recording over the past couple years. These short episodes contain many of my reflections as both a fashion scholar and a fashion consultant in Colombia as I try to unpack the complex legacies of colonialism in present-day fashion. Please give them a listen, visit my blog for full transcripts, and some images that might be helpful, and let me know what you think. Dear fashion thinkers, if you're anything like me, you might have been watching the astronomical rise of the so-called quiet luxury trend lately. But not simply watching. You've probably been thinking about the rise of the trend and perhaps also analyzing what it says about the current moment and how this relates to the many histories of luxury, especially those that remain untold. Last month, I suggested that it might be the topic for this month's newsletter. Soon after hitting send, I received a call from one of my favorite fashion writers of the moment, Francesola Santiago, to talk more about the subject for a fantastic article she wrote for Refinery29. Our conversation was brief but substantial, and it got my thinking motor going. So now I really had to write more about quiet luxury, as you may have seen in my first Get Ready With Me reel earlier this week. But what is quiet luxury to begin with? To explain it briefly, quiet luxury is all about the quote-unquote silent display of wealth and leisure through minimalism and muted colors. Think Sophia Ricci's wedding looks, the HBO show Succession, and even Gwyneth Bartrell's looks for the famous ski accident trials. Yet nothing is really quiet about this type of luxury, as it symbolizes quote-unquote old money and the style connoisseurship or expertise of what white elites have long considered real luxury. But I'll let Fran explain it more thoroughly in your article, and I'm linking it here if you're interested. At different points in my life, I think I've fallen prey to the hegemonic discourses about luxury and most importantly, quiet luxury. If you follow me on Instagram and have read or listened to me elsewhere, you probably know about the many times I have chosen to reject bold colors and patterns in probably useless and definitely pointless attempts to hide my identity as a Latina. Thankfully, I've always come back to re-embracing the bold styles that have been passed down to me by generations of fashionable people who don't exactly conform to the Euro-North American white standards. And I must say here that whitewashing of many Latin Americans is worthy of consideration, but I won't get into it today. 
But it wasn't until I started working on my PhD that I began to consider and reconsider luxury from a decentralized perspective that actually questions the hegemonic narratives that in turn separate and privilege widely held ideas about old money and new money. The difference between the two reinforces a hierarchy in which white taste is considered superior to other forms of stylistic expression. And, as Dr. Jonathan M. Square has pointed out, that's when quiet luxury becomes problematic. The creation of a hierarchy between old money and new money, or to put it more broadly, between the aesthetic taste of white elites and pretty much every other social group, has helped create our contemporary ideas about taste throughout history. And, believe it or not, ideas about luxury have always been an underlying element of taste. When I began to delve into 18th century fashion and portraiture in the Spanish-American colonies, I was inevitably forced to consider discourses about luxury at the time. And while much of the shared ideas about luxury in the Spanish Americas were framed around European conceptions of luxury, they didn't always correspond. In Europe, luxury was a heated subject of debate in the 18th century, especially because the economic system as a whole was drastically changing at the time moving towards the capitalist economy of consumption that we live in today. There were many contradictions about luxury, and one of the most commonly debated ideas had to do with whether luxury was good or bad for the economy. But what seemed clear was that luxury was necessarily associated with the virtuous consumption practices of the elites. It was present and allowed ideally only among the wealthy and the powerful, but it had to be restrained. Sounds like quite luxury to me, right? In Spanish America, however, things were quite different. One of the first things that struck me about Spanish American portraits from the second half of the 18th century is that the wealth in adornment seems somewhat excessive when compared to European, even the French portraits of the time. The amount of golden, or at least gold-colored trimmings that adorn the already rich floral brocaded dresses topped with gigantic, overly decorated hats and dozens of jewels with precious and semi-precious stones seems unrestrained next to the contemporary European laws of adornment. There is a question of whether portraits depict real subjects in their everyday lives, and I won't get into it today. But my research has shown that the wealth depicted in late colonial Spanish-American portraits does correspond to the richness in bodily adornment of at least some of the people of the elite. Inventories of the time registered dozens of costly jewels, fabrics, and pieces of clothing. And European travelers of the time coincide in pointing out the seeming excess of Spanish-American ostentation. But why? It is difficult to ascertain with any firm facts, but my hypothesis is that ideas about luxury in the Spanish-American colonies were strongly founded on indigenous discourses about luxury, which at times even contradicted European ones. In the Andes, for example, there existed a system of value that endowed a high appreciation for light, reflective and shining materials based on the cosmologies of the region. Among the Inca, Gold became a symbol of the sun god Inti and its qualities for germinating and fertilizing both in agriculture and human existence, essential to the survival of human beings. Other Andean cultures also associated the reddish color of copper and gold copper alloys, known generically as tumbaga in the region, 
with the sun in its qualities. Silver, on the other hand, was representative of the cycles of life and death embodied in the moon and lunar cycles. Perils, perhaps one of the most commonly present jewels in colonial Spanish-American portraits, were also lustrous and light-reflective, but their meanings were much more difficult to disentangle. From a European point of view, pearls had the added value of denoting quote-unquote feminine qualities, such as purity, but they also denoted the fear of uncontrolled sexuality in an exotic orient. Perils had long been an essential element in the European repertoire of luxury, but they became even more prominent in Spanish-American portraits. In this case, women did not wear a single strand of pearls or two, but rather chose to cover their forearms with up to a dozen strands of pearls. That's a lot. Instead of being an inexplicable curiosity about Spanish-American taste, this choice might have actually been based on an ongoing legacy of Andean appreciation for light and shine. Importantly, the seemingly over-the-top or excessive forms of adornment seen in the colonial period still represent Latin American quote-unquote exuberance today. And just like 300 years ago, It continues to be criticized by Euro-North American views that privilege more toned-down, even if costly, forms of consumption, quiet luxury undoubtedly being the first among them. But what if we actually embrace the historical heritage of loud luxury that so many non-white Europeans and North Americans have indulged in for centuries? And if we can't make it that far... Could we at least continue to question hegemonic narratives of luxury and recognize, uncover, and appreciate different and louder expressions of style? I'd love to learn about these diverse expressions of luxury that you may know about. Please, please share them in the comments or by replying directly to this email. Thank you, thank you for reading and until next month. Original podcast episodes will air starting on January 11th, 2024, so I hope I can entertain you with this collection of loose thoughts until then. And in case you want to subscribe to my email list to be notified when the first official episode goes live, I've left the link to join in the podcast notes for this episode. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. You know that I love a good conversation about fashion, so please don't hesitate to email me or message me on social media to continue discussing any of the ideas introduced in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please follow the podcast, leave a review, or share it with your favorite fashion friends. It does make a huge difference as we try collectively to build more spaces for thoughtful and nuanced conversations that can truly help us redress fashion.